Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the Word. God bless you. How many people, I know we've had a lot of new people, how many people are here less than six months? This is, you've been here less than six months. Come on. Welcome. We like to say welcome home. We are glad that you are here. How many people went and saw a hero this week? Just for you guys, I will not be spitting apples on you. We need to teach you how to eat. I don't know. Are you allergic to apples? Yeah, just like discharge. That won't happen here. I asked them if I could preach in the chandelier, and they said no. They said, you don't get a chandelier. Yeah, Hero was, it's so radical. A lot of things I took away from Hero, but the one thing, the biggest thing I took away that I know that I know that I know now is six-pack abs are from the devil. It is an evil pursuit. It is an evil pursuit. I just keep telling myself that if he, if the devil looks like that, I don't want to look like the devil. That's what this is. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. I love you guys. The cast, you guys are incredible. Incredible. The amount of salvations that we've seen. Hey, but before we get into it, I just want to honor our campus pastors, Pastor Matt and Michaela. You guys are some of the greatest friends, some of the greatest people. And I, I honestly, would, I don't know where I would be without you. And you guys live a lifestyle that I think until people get to know you can rub them the wrong way. But what I've gotten to see is the stuff you do in the downtime, in the quiet times, in between services, late hours at your house, the, the love that you show for people. It, it challenges me, it heals me, it, it brings comfort to me. And so you guys are in incredible hands with these pastors. They're some of the greatest people on planet Earth. And to our, to our lead pastors, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, the most bold people I've ever met, the most caring people I've ever met, the most fearless people I've ever met. Yes, like three people over here know what I'm talking about. So I want to honor our lead pastors. What's they're, what they're so good about is Pastor Matt and Pastor Jurgen, they're not trying to draw people to them. They're drawing people to Jesus. And they've taught me how to live a powerful life, how to get into the word, how, how to not rely on a pastor but rely on the word, how, how to be self-fed, how to be mature, how to be devoted, how to worship. And that's what good leaders are supposed to do. It's not supposed to crumble when they, when they leave. It should be stronger. The next generation that we're raising up should reach things that we never thought possible. And so I'm thankful for leaders that are like that, that, that will even make room for for a person like me to speak on a stage like this. Um, it's ultimate trust, and so we love you. Thank you. Um, just to, so you know where our church's heart is, because Pastor Matt and Michaela said, hey, we, 
following Easter Sunday and following Hero, you're a son of this house, Mike. You, you got saved here. You got raised here. You've been here over 10 years. Can you share your story? And can you share how, what this church and what the Bible's done for you? And so it was such an honor for me to be put in that position. I just want to frame it around our church's mission. And it's super simple. We are a church that is fresh, real, and powerful. It's that easy and it's that hard. <clears throat> it's, it's easy to say it's a great tagline on a website. It's hard to do and it's hard to live through. Um, but it's what the world needs. And when, what, the only churches I ever went to were the opposite of that. They were stale. They, they were boring. They were bland. They weren't fresh. They weren't real. Everyone showed up and kind of pretended they had it together. Like put on their Sunday best, didn't really talk about the things they were going through, didn't really show up for each other. And I never really saw anything of strength. I never saw anything powerful. So I'm so thankful that the only church I know is this church. I got saved here 10 years ago. I had never read the Bible. I didn't believe in God. And I had told my girlfriend at the time that I will never go to church. And look at me now. <laughs> really, really what, what you'll see is that is a recipe, fresh, real, and powerful, is a recipe for real repentance and for real restoration. And that's what I've seen in my life. It wasn't, it wasn't a fake response to Jesus for me. Repentance gets a heavy term. But when I saw real, fresh, powerful church, it let me say, that's the thing I want. I'm gonna turn away from the things that I've been pursuing, real repentance, and I'm gonna turn towards something fresh, something real, something powerful, and that name is Jesus. And in that, I've had a life of complete restoration. And that's what church should be. A house of transformation needs to be fresh, real, and powerful. So that's who we are. That's what Awaken is about. Honestly, that's not just Awaken. It's not like we have our own version of the Bible. That's the Bible. The Bible is fresh, real, and powerful. The Bible is revival. The Bible is restoration. The Bible is full redemption. Amen? <laughs> so I'm going to pull into a story in John that shows this in a beautiful way. This is John 4. It's the woman at the well. So we'll, we'll start in verse 3. It says, now he, Jesus, not that Jesus, but the real Jesus. Jesus left Judea and went back to once more to Galilee. Now I want you to, to pick up on this and we'll go deep into it. But he said, but he had to go through Samaria. For those of you who don't know, the path to Galilee was actually more commonly done around Samaria. It was more direct to go through Samaria, but the Jews would avoid the Samaritans. They would say that, I'm not going to go that way. We're going to actually avoid them. We don't like what they praise. We don't like what they worship. We don't like what they believe. We don't like them as people. We avoid them. We go around them. Jesus goes through them. Jesus goes to them. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. A Samaritan woman came up to draw water and said to Jesus, Jesus said to her, sorry, will you give me a drink? Real quick, what's important to me is that in this story, I get to see Jesus' humanity. I get to see Jesus tired and Jesus thirsty. The Son of God actually understands what I'm going through. I was living a life where I was looking 
for rest. And I was looking for something to be satisfying, something to be fulfilling. And what helped me respond was that I understood that Jesus knew what I felt like. He wasn't this distant God. He wasn't this God who had no idea what pain was like or what tiredness was like. And so today, as, as we get around the word of God, I want you to be reminded that Jesus knows how you can feel in a season of, of need, a season of tiredness, a season of heavy burden. So the woman comes to him. He says, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman, so a couple strikes here for her. She's a woman. It doesn't really go well in this time. Men are actually not even supposed to be teaching or talking or interacting with her. And she's a Samaritan. Her paradigm is that Jews don't like her. Jews hate her. Jews are supposed to avoid her. Her whole life, you'll learn, was one of rejection, especially from men. And so here she is in the middle of the day, which you'll, you'll also see is not when you were supposed to get water. She's a woman who's supposed to be going out in community with her girlfriends early in the morning when it's cool. And she's supposed to be getting help, but instead, because of her past, because of her position, she's actually alone in the hottest time of the day. But remember that Jesus had to go there. It's not an accident that Jesus went through Samaria. It's not an accident that he got there at noon. He went to a well to meet a girl who needed to meet him. The Samaritan woman came, <clears throat> came to draw the water. Jesus said, will you give me a drink? She said to him, you're a Jew. Hold on. I'm a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She says, sir, you don't have anything to draw with. Where would you get this living water? She's starting to argue with him. She's starting to protect herself. She's saying, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, who drank from it from himself, also from his sons and his livestock? What you'll learn and what, what I see in this is the, the well from Jacob, if you know Jacob, Jacob was a heel grabber. Jacob was a manipulator. Jacob was one who would force things to happen on his own. Jesus is sitting on top of that well that represents self-promotion, manipulation, rejection, suffocation, and he's saying, no, don't drink from that. Drink from this. Drink from me. Don't drink from the thing that continues to leave you thirsty. So she says, sir, who gave you, are you better than Jacob? And Jesus, Jesus responds in such an incredible way. And this is one of the, one of the verses that changed my life. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And I found that. I wasn't in church, but I found every well that I went to left me thirsty. He said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He's saying, you can go to old wells or you can come to me. He said, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love the woman's response. She's like, sir, give me that water. <laughs> I'm like, yes, please, I'll take a double. Tall glass of that water. But she doesn't really know what she's saying because he's talking 
literally, but he's also talking spiritually to her. She says, sir, give me that so I won't get thirsty, so I don't have to keep coming back here. What she's saying is I'm sick of being rejected. Every day I have to wait till every other woman leaves so I don't feel rejected. I have to walk through town by myself, and they go, that's the woman with five wives. That's the woman who can't get it right. That's the woman, and I have to be out here in the heat and suffer rejection and humiliation every day. She's like, give me that so I don't have to do that. In a lot of ways, she's saying, if I could do that, I could just hide again. And I would never have to be in public. But God has so much more for her than that. Now this response, at first I used to be like, man, Jesus is sarcastic, which I liked. He's like, go get your husband. Go get your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right when you say that you have no husband. He's like going for the jugular 30 seconds into meeting this girl. Like, we can barely talk about money without offending people. And he's like, I'm going to go after your husbands. I'm going to call out all your mess right now. Just a level set, the word of God should make us uncomfortable. The Bible actually says that it penetrates, it separates. It actually goes in deep to separate truth from lies. So if we're presented from the word of God from the pulpit and it makes you uncomfortable, don't go, go, okay, God. What are you separating? What, what, what fantasy, what lie, what myth, what, um, what disbelief, what thing are you trying to get me to say, no, 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 don't go there, come to me. That's what the word of God should do. So he says, you're right, you have no husbands. The fact is you've had five husbands. Want me to name them? No, he didn't say that. He's actually the man you have now is not even your husband. And what you have said is quite true. She said, sir, I can see that you're a prophet, trying to change the subject. She starts to, it's like, uh, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. And she starts to argue, but you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What she's saying is like, I've tried my best. I grew up here. They said, this is where I should worship. And you're judging me? You're saying I need to go worship there? And she starts to argue in defense, because all she knows from religion and men is rejection. She says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your Samaritans worship what you know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now will come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He's talking to her and he's like, you've you've even got the principle of worship wrong. I'm here to change worship being about a building or a mountain and about being your heart, about being what you give to me. He said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman, I, I, I imagine probably perplexed and just going, I can't handle this anymore, just goes, I know the Messiah. He's coming and when he gets here, he'll explain everything. He's just kind of like... I'll cross that bridge when he gets here. And what's amazing is the first person that Jesus actually reveals himself to as the Messiah is this woman who's overlooked, a foreigner, a stranger, somebody rejected by religion, somebody rejected by men, somebody who already has told in herself that she's not good enough to come to Christ. Christ came to her and said, the one you're talking to, it's me. I came, I had to come for you. I came to the well at noon to meet you and introduce you to somebody who loves you more than you could ever understand. 
It's, it's an incredible story. And to be honest, what I love about what Pastor Matt was saying, our, our vision to have 16 campuses is what she did next is went and shared it with her entire community. There should be no empty seats in our church if we really deeply encounter Christ. It should be, I met a man who knew everything about me, yet he still loved me. You've got to come meet this guy. You've got to come fill this church. You've got to come praise him. You've got to come get your heart healed. You've got to come to the proper place of worship. So, again, I, it's easy to preach, um, but what I found, like she said, and what I was challenged to do when I was reading this was share my testimony. My wife and I, we met at Disneyland, which was not the place I was taught to pick up girls at, but when a girl like that walks in front of you, you just change plans. Yeah. Um, if I was being honest, I was like a train wreck of a 20-year-old. I wore way too much cologne, had a terrible hairstyle, pants this tight, deep V-neck. I thought I was crushing the game, and I was not. And the world had kind of showed me that, like, if you, were, if you could get into the party game, if you could make some money and get bottle service, that was like heaven on earth. And that's all I knew because I didn't grow up in church, and I met this woman who grew up in church, who was a pastor's daughter, who, who was so beautiful and so pure and so different than the woman I had seen. I was like, okay, I need that girl. And I didn't even know what, I, what that, I, I so couldn't handle it, to be honest. But I, I asked her out in front of her boyfriend. That's a good strategy. Um, <laughs> boldness meets stupidity. <laughs> And, you know, she hadn't been in church for a while, and so we kind of just did what the world said to do. It's like, it's expensive to live in California, move in together. So we started living together, and we lived together for four years. Um, major asterisk to this, she grew up a pastor's daughter. She's waited her whole life, saved her virginity till she gets married. So we're living in, a, in the house together, sleeping in a bed together, but not sleeping together. I do not recommend this as a strategy. It's so backwards, I don't even know how to undo how we came up with that. It's like a little bit of the world, a little bit of church, all of the worst of that. Anyways, don't do that. And the tension started to grow. Rachel was starting to be drawn back to God, and she was starting to see that the world didn't have what she needed. And, and, and to be honest, I was masquerading as a good boyfriend. I, was, I could do romantic things. I could take her on good trips. I could say the right things. But I was such a broken person on the inside because my mom died when I was young. My best friend died right after that. I had some really bad relationships. And what I had started to learn is the well that I drew from was women. The place that I went to to feel loved, to feel lovable, to feel good enough was, was a woman. And largely that just came out of this missing my mom. And it got kind of morphed into this nightclub thing. Like if you'll smile at me, I'll settle for that. And so I was much like the woman at the well. I was so thirsty for something. I was so broke and lost. But I just kept coming back to this thing and back to this thing. And Rachel could sense that, but in her, it, she, I wasn't being honest with her. I was being unfaithful to her. I would go out to nightclubs and I would go, well, I don't feel happy in my relationship, so she makes me feel happy. So I would draw to that again. And I continued to do that over and over in my relationships, and I was doing it to this beautiful girl. And eventually, we went to counseling. It's a good place to start. 
Uh, we didn't go to a great counselor. Her plan was, after Rachel said she wanted to go back to church, was, okay, well, if Mike doesn't want to go, he doesn't have to go. His needs, her needs, we can compromise. Our plan, our strategy was, I get to go surf, Rachel will go to church, and we'll meet up afterwards. And Rachel's like, hard pass. I do not want that life. Thank you to, to a strong Christian woman who was like, nah, nah, that's not going to work. <laughs> so we broke up, and my uh, infamous words were, I will never go to church. Even if we had kids, I would never go to church. And look at me now. Um, so, so Rachel moves out. I go on this tailspin. She starts dating some other guy. A neighbor invites me to Awaken Church, which turned out was across the street from me. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> Clearly not paying attention to the signs. And I, I come here and I get saved. The first day I respond to the altar, and I've never stopped coming here since that day. And... I, it, would be, it would be easy for me to stop there, but that's not what happened. And if I was going to share my moment at the well, I, I have to tell you what happened next. Because I go into this church, and I do the same thing I do in the world. Put on a mask. Draw from the same things. I'm in church six months. I got, I got this game figured out. I know how to play this room. And I start hitting Rachel back up. Babe, I got it figured out. <laughs> Come back and date me. It's like I'm so much better. <laughs> Still a train wreck. She comes back, rededicates her life. We start hanging out. A lot of people don't know this. In this time, I proposed to Rachel three times. The first time, she was so unwilling to meet with me, she said, we have to meet in public. She's like, I do not trust this guy. He's going to what church, where? So we meet out in a, in a we get coffee, we meet in a parking, or a, a park, and I take my mom's wedding ring and propose to her. And she's like, I have a boyfriend. And I'm like, it does not matter, I love you. She's like, I'm not marrying you, you're a disaster, go back to church. Second time we took a trip to Cancun. I get some liquid courage, I'm front of a bunch of strangers, I'm like, what could go wrong here? In the sand, at a club, in front of a bunch of people, I proposed to her again. Out to not humiliate me, she says yes. Wakes up the next morning, is like, you're a fool, I'm not marrying you. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Eventually, I get a little stronger, a little healthier, a little more healed, propose to her again, she finally says yes. Yeah. <laughs> I say all that to say, I still have not changed my source. The cycle is going to repeat itself because I haven't changed the source. Rachel's back. I'm like, oh my God, okay, finally things will be better. I won't feel this hole. I won't feel this thirsty. I won't feel this rejected. I won't feel this lonely. But that's not for her to carry. That's not the well I'm supposed to be drawing from. And so I meet a girl in this church whose husband has just cheated on her. And we start connecting out of desperation and out of loneliness and out of fear and out of rejection and out of drawing from the wrong wells. And I start to, in fantasy, fall in love with this girl too because I'm so scared that everyone's going to leave me. 
that I'm actually unlovable. And so if I'm not happy here, maybe it's this girl. So I'm going back to this well. I'm going back to this thing. And we start talking to each other, and she's, she's thinking one thing, and I'm thinking, and this is all the way up until the day of my wedding with Rachel. And I'm getting text messages, and I'm sending text messages, and I'm in church. I have pastors. I have leaders. I have friends, but I'm not willing to talk to them about this because I'm doing the same shallow thing that I did in the world. I'm not going deep. I'm not drawing from healthy things. I'm not leaning on people. And this person who's as broken as me is spinning too. And I'm so terrified that I, I, I can't confess anything to anyone. And we show up and we get married. And I'm like, okay, this, this is it. This is, we go on our honeymoon, this beautiful woman who's waited her whole life for this, for, to commit herself to a man. We get home from that and she finds these emails. She finds these text messages of me saying, I love this other girl. And she's already forgiven me once for being unfaithful and come back and trusted me. And now this is a violation on such a different level. And thank God we never physically did anything, but this emotional affair is almost more devastating to a woman who came back to trust me as a husband. And it was so heartbreaking. But for me, that moment, that moment was my moment at the well with Christ. He said, you've had that girlfriend and that girlfriend and that girlfriend and that girlfriend and that girlfriend and, and you will do this to that girl. You'll, you'll wreck her because you have not changed the source. And I learned that to break the cycle, I needed to change the source. To break the cycle, I needed to change the source. I needed to learn how to dig deep into the right wells. And this house, this church taught me that. And we're gonna celebrate our 10-year anniversary this year. And we're going to renew our vows. And, and I can confidently in victory say, thank God for my wife, but thank God for a church and a community that says you can get through this. And if you give your heart to God, he can heal it and he can repair it and he can turn ashes into something beautiful. So going back to this story, what I love is what Jesus asks us this girl, what he asked me. He said, give me a drink of water. And yeah, he was thirsty. The Bible says he was thirsty. But really what he wanted is he wanted to say, the thing that you have, don't take it. Don't consume it. Give it to me. Don't drink from that thing anymore. Do not consume it anymore. He was less about Jesus needing it. It was more about me needing to give it away. And he says, if you'll trust me, if you'll exchange that, I will give you something so you will never thirst again. And that's such a beautiful promise, and that's what I've seen in my life. Complete healing over a porn addiction. Complete healing over a broken heart that was continually looking for affirmation from people. And that's the, that's the story of our life, is one of, of restoration and of healing. And that's what a church should be like. That's what a church should feel like, a fresh, real, and powerful church should see people come in broken, create an atmosphere for them to feel safe enough to get healed, and then watch them go bring healing to other people. The other thing I'll say that I love that Jesus did is he confronted her. And at first I was like, ah, oh, it's so crass and sarcastic, you know, to go straight after her her past, but what, what I see now is actually it was the most beautiful thing he could have done. 
Because if he would have just said, hey, change the source. Hey, Mike, change the source. Then I never would have believed in true acceptance. Because everywhere she goes, her religious people go, that's the girl with five wives. That's the girl with five, sorry, that's the girl with five husbands. That's the girl with five husbands. So everyone else knows her mess. So if she comes in the church and fakes it, she won't feel real acceptance. She gets real judgment here, but fake acceptance here. So he had to reveal her past so she could understand that he said, I know all of that, and even yet, I still love you and accept you. I needed that. Jesus said to me, Mike, I know all about all your pain and all your brokenness and all your mistakes, and even yet, while you were still that, I loved you. That's what draws us to repentance is his kindness. She would have rejected herself had he not brought it up. The most loving thing he could have done was addressed her past. So then she could actually accept her position as a daughter. Somebody who felt unlovable needed God to say, I know everything, and yet I still love you. It's the story of the Bible. Amen? You know, this, the, the psalmist puts this, David, in such a great way. He says, and I didn't have language for this, but this was what I know now. He said, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. That's what was happening is my soul was thirsty. He said, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's recognizing that the world has nothing that will satisfy. I found in church, one of the things that I found here is how to dig deep and that there is an important component of wells that we need as a church to establish. And I want to cover four wells that I believe that we need to always be digging, always be protecting, and always be leaving behind for the next generation. But there are some keys to a well. This will sound really simple, but if you don't dig it, you get no access. There is some personal responsibility to the depth of your well and to the sources of the things that you're trying to um, have in your life. It's not for the pastors to necessarily dig every well for you. It's not, it's not for you to show up once on a Sunday and go, well, that was deep enough. No, that's not deep enough. We're not called to be shallow, and we're not called to live shallow lives, so you must dig deep into these wells. The other thing that you'll notice in the Bible is the enemy will do whatever he can to cut you off from these wells. They will try to bury the wells. They will try to take you off from that source, and so you need to learn how to protect the wells. And the last thing that you'll see is that as sons of the house, as daughters of the house, it is our job to leave the wells as an inheritance. Our kids will be well-resourced if we protect and dig deep wells for them. So the four wells that I've found that I was desperately looking for outside the world that I think we need to draw from in church, the first is the well of community. Doing this Jesus and me thing will not work. That's not scriptural and it's not effective. The Bible actually says the man who isolates rages war against himself. We are meant to have deep community. And it's really easy, honestly, as a church to slip in the shallow relationships in the lobby, in the parking lot, in connect group, and just kind of go through the motions and not go deep. But you have to go deep in community. 
To have real community, you have to go deep. And again, you will be offended if you do that. Where else, I should say this this way, when I care about something deeply, when I give my, my life over to people, that's, the, that's an environment where you could be offended. I don't care about a Twitter, a Twitter troll, some Instagram dude who doesn't even know me. He can say the most offensive stuff, and it's not going to offend me. But in a connect group, if your connect leader corrects you, of course that's going to hurt. That's somebody you care about. It's somebody who trusted you. But can you protect your well and not let bitterness and offense poison it? Can you trust that they have the best in store for you? That they're seeing something that you don't see? That they're actually trying to get you back to health? That's what the church should be. The church should also be fun. The church should be fun. We need to be real and we need to be fun. If we are the stale, pale, boring, suffocated, dry church, no one's going to want that. No one wants a lame church. We need to be having fun. We need to be the light on a hill. We need to be the most shining thing to the world. The world is looking for deep community. And if we can't get that right, they're, they're going to go find friends somewhere else. We should be the best neighbors. We should be the best friends. We should throw our friends the greatest parties. We should celebrate when they win, not judging. But instead, we, the tendency is to sit back and go, ah, it's not for me. No, we're called to more. We're called to better relationships. I think the bar should be the highest in church of how we are as friends to each other. Amen? Amen. The second well is the well of prosperity. Yep, we will keep saying that word. We will keep talking about prosperity. I don't believe in Yelp. I think Yelp should be shut down. But if you happen to go to Yelp, you'd probably find people complaining that we are a church that talks about prosperity. The problem with that is I cannot find a scripture where God says he's not about you prospering. In fact, the only thing I can find that shall not prosper is a weapon formed against you. That's the only thing he says that shouldn't prosper. He's about fruitfulness. He's about abundance. He's about health. He's about life. He actually says, attached to him, you will bear much fruit. How can I believe a scripture that says I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the country and then go, but I can't be prosperous? Reconcile that for me. How can I prosper in all things but then not believe in prosperity? The enemy is trying to kill the well for you. But here's how you protect the well. Generosity. God hates greed. He hates materialism. But he loves generosity. Money won't buy you happiness. It will buy you a jet ski. Try to not be happy on a jet ski. No, I'm just kidding. Money won't, money won't buy you happiness, but poverty, being broke, can't buy anything. We will have no influence if we're a broke church. We are called to live a big life, not a just enough for you life. It should be overflowing. The point of a well is not for you. The point of a well is for other people. So it must be deep and it must be overflowing, and the way you do that is through generosity. Honestly, we need, 
more people like Elon Musk that are Christians though, that says, hold on, hold on. You're gonna do that? No, I'll buy it and we'll run it the right way. We need, a run, we need a Christian airlines. We need Christian school districts. We need Christian businessmen that say, I'm sorry, I don't go by your rules. I have influence and I have prosperity and I have purpose and I'm gonna change my generations because of that. That's kingdom prosperity. So how much is enough? There's never enough for the kingdom if you have big enough vision should be always prospering. Amen? Two more. I got three minutes. We can squeeze it in. Third well is the well of the miraculous. The well of faith. I saw a lot of things not in church. Things that I would say were like magnetic. Things that wanted to draw you to them so you would draw from them. Things like Coachella or you know, name any, name any festival or anything that, that has all the bells and whistles. I saw things that were even magnificent. I saw people who were very talented do very incredible things. But in this church is where I saw the miraculous. It's where I saw one of our best friends, Evan Lowe, be raised from the dead. We went into this church with his mom and his dad and his wife, and they said, say goodbye to Evan. He'll die tonight. His system is so toxic. His organs are failing so much, he won't make it out of here. And I saw Evan walk out in full strength and in full health because we continued to pray for Evan Lowe to be saved and be fully healed. I've seen some of the most beautiful God stories happen at men's and women's prayer. And so how do you dig into the miraculous? When we say, hey, do you need something to pray for over the Book of Miracles, raise your hands. You're digging a deep well when you're saying, despite the circumstances, I will trust a different report. I will trust in the hope of the world, and I will trust that if Jesus did miracles when he walked here, and he said, we will do greater things, that we will continue to see the miraculous in our city, in our families, in our churches, everywhere we go. If we're gonna be a powerful church, we need the miraculous. We need the miraculous. There's, a, there's people that need hope at the river, at our workplace, everywhere we go. And they're gonna be drawn by the signs and wonders of the miraculous. They're gonna hear stories like the Samaritan woman and say, hold on, hold on, Jesus, stay here for two more days so we can experience your goodness. That's the third well. The fourth well, and I think this is the most important well, is the well of worship. If I've learned anything in this church, it's how to praise and worship God, despite the circumstances. If you go back to John, what I believe, again, what I believe what he was asking for her was not for her to give water, but was for her to give her heart. He talked a lot about worship and he said, you'll learn that what you are gonna worship is from a place of health, a place of a healed heart place of a healed life, a place of a healed mind. I've learned in this church, like I said before, how to be self-fed, how to be devoted, but more than anything, how to hear his voice. There can be a lot of noise in my life now, and I'll know clearly the voice of God because I learned how to worship, and I dug deep into that in hard times. 
through miscarriage after miscarriage, through fighting through our marriage, through fighting for our dream home, through fighting for friends, fighting for our families. I learned in this church that I desperately need worship. It's not a playlist, it's a lifestyle. I've, I've, really, I've really discovered that of all the wells, this is the one well you have to go to the most often. In fact, I would say that this is the one thing you need constantly in your life. If you compare the rich young ruler, he had all the religion figured out and he goes to Jesus and he's like, what else do I need? He's, he's a man of self-reliance. He's a man who, who really hadn't figured out devotion to Christ. And God's, Jesus says to him, one thing you lack. You lack devotion. He lacked worship. Look at Mary and Martha. Martha's running around full of worry, trying to do performance, trying to do religion. And God says, Martha, you're worried, bothered, anxious about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Look at what David says in Psalms. This is Psalm 27. And this is the mission for the mission statement over our family. It's about the one thing. He said, here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else, I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I wanna live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. That's the one thing. Worship healed my heart. And these wells that I'm talking about, what they did is they showed me faith, hope, and love. What I needed was faith, hope, and love. What I was drawing from was really because I needed faith, hope, and love. And I think you'll find that in these wells. I think you'll find it in what God has for you. And as, as we start to close, the last thing I wanna talk about is remember that Jesus said he had to go to Samaria. And that's such a comforting thought to me that a savior would exhaust himself and, and be thirsty to come meet me. He came after the girl at the well. He came after me and I believe today on the heels of Resurrection Sunday and Easter and on the heels of Hero, he's meeting you today, sitting at your well and saying, where will you draw from today? What do you need today? Do you feel rejected? Do you feel tired? Do you feel thirsty? Do you feel unlovable? Do you feel overlooked? If you draw from him today, you will never thirst again. If you draw from him today, you'd have everlasting life. And so I, I just want you to know that he's not satisfied with 99 people drawing from him and one not. He had to go to Samaria, to the one who didn't even know him. And this, this morning, he will leave the 99 to come for you. He, he will go, not the normal path, not the path of the 99. He will go the path directly to you, where you're at, to find the one who needs to hear from him today. That's his heart for you. And that's his kindness. That's his goodness that should draw us to turn back to him. So with every head bowed, I just wanna give you guys the opportunity that I had 10 years ago, which is to change the source. 
which is to respond to him and draw from him this morning. And so if you want that today, if you want to come back to Christ or respond to God for the first time, I'm gonna give you on the count of three an opportunity to just raise your hand. And it'll be super simple. You just shoot it up and say, no, I, I respond. I respond, I want that, I need that. If that's you today on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, across this room. Hands across this room, come on. Hands in the top, hands in the front, hands in the back, come on. Thank you, Jesus. And give a few more seconds because there was a moment of hesitation where the woman had a decision to say, is this true? She said, I'll wait till Jesus comes. And Jesus said, no, I'm here today. I'm here right now, I'm here this morning. I'm sitting in front of you. Do you wanna raise your hand? Do you wanna draw from me? So that's you, if you're waiting, I say, wait no longer. Respond now, shoot your hand up. In the mighty name of Jesus, God, we declare your salvation over your people today. We're gonna close out the service real quick. I will invite Pastor Matt up here, but I wanna pray for you. Can everybody stand? And we're gonna pray together as a church, as a family, but especially those who raise their hands. Just real quick, I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. I thank you for dying for me, for raising from the dead to give me life. I receive your forgiveness. And today, I draw from you that I would never thirst again and let my life shine so bright that cities will change because of the goodness of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.